Welcome to FinTech at Haas. Today, I'm joined by Nicholas Elvaz, General Partner at Partech Partners. Partech Partners is a global venture capital firm led by former entrepreneurs and operators, which invest in entrepreneurs across all stages. Welcome, Nicholas. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure to join you. How's things? How, how's things been over the last six months? Actually, incredibly interesting and stimulating uh, as an investor, uh, because it's one of those times where, you know, every single company, whatever, whatever space they're in, whatever business model they're in, is facing a completely new set of challenges that affects their strategy in a good way, in a bad way, in a challenging way. And so it's it's kind of a unique, one of those unique times for investors to, you know, really have an impact if they can, right? And, and, and be uh, and bring some influence into what we're doing and, and, and hopefully value-added influence in what you're doing. Uh, so from a you know early stage investor standpoint, it's fascinating intellectually and, and, and also from a human standpoint, you know, working with entrepreneurs and seeing them evolve through these challenges. Um, so it, it's a change from the, you know, kind of a routine day to day if such thing there is in normal times. Do you think the COVID era is going to mark a time where as an investor, you really get an opportunity to stand out from the crowd in terms of the value you can add to the companies you invest in. Do you think there's going to be a big dispersion in how entrepreneurs perceive their investors and how investors ultimately perform? I believe so. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's specific to COVID. I think it happens in every crisis, right? Every time there's a whatever the source of the or the reason of the crisis is, this is a time for making important strategic decisions. And, uh, you know, and as, as venture investors, and especially when we're on board of companies, um, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and, and so uh, it, it's also a time where uh, you can actually benefit greatly from prior experiences of going through crisis, whether it's as an investor, or as an entrepreneur, because they're, they're very different from your normal economic growth times. But we'll have to ask the entrepreneurs later on what they think. Yeah, I think this crisis is definitely very different from any other, but I'm sure there are things that you've, you have learned from, you know, the 08 crisis and crisis before that, that will help you as you, you know, navigate the, the current situation. It's definitely a different type of crisis. You know, I don't think we've been in a crisis where humans couldn't move around where you know, mobility has been affected to that extent. And, uh, uh, but it's, uh, you know, I mean, you've heard it over and over and we're seeing it all around us. It's a, uh, accelerator for a lot of technologies to become ubiquitous and that you know, it's unique too. So Partech has offices in San Francisco, Europe and Dakar. How do you manage investments across the different locations, the different time zones? And, and perhaps COVID has been a bit of a benefit because you guys might have already been set up well for remote working and remote collaboration. Uh, I mean, yes and no, I'm not sure we're benefiting specifically from COVID uh, from that standpoint. But, um, you know, we, it, it, so we try to find a balance between being a globally integrated team on one hand and being very hyper-local on the other hand. 
so uh, you know we we so unlike many other firms that have more I would say geographically fragmented teams and funds, uh, we definitely have very local teams, but uh, we are very much integrated and uh, as a firm and as a partnership. So we. Uh, we share deal flow. We discuss deal flow. We have a you know global Monday partner meeting and uh, where we we expose all of the companies that bubble up um, to the entire partnership to get the wisdom of the partnership and, and also the value. Um, uh, but it, it's not something that's very easy to do for sure. Uh, it requires in, you know we're still fine tuning it every day or every week. Um, and it does require a partnership of people who have known each other and worked with each other for a long time. What are the, some of the ways that you try to manage that collaboration across such different geographies and, and time zones? It's kind of a multi-dimensional matrix, if you wish, because we have, uh, you know, geography is one uh, dimension, right? Uh, there are other dimensions. Stage is another dimension. Uh, we we know we have uh, we invest across the spectrum uh, from seed to growth and and obviously uh, uh, you know there's different processes and engagement models related to that and, and then uh, you know a, a, another dimension might be domain expertise uh, and so uh, you know we we try to work through that and and it's very much up to the partners by the way uh, who lead a specific project to. Uh, you know, insert themselves into this global uh, framework, but also to go get the input from the the partners that may have expertise or connections or relationships uh, that might be relevant wherever they might be on the globe. But it's a constantly evolving model. You mentioned you invest across all stages. What are some of the challenges with doing that? And do you guys have separate teams that focus on the needs of very early stage companies and then different team that looks at later stage? We do. Uh, so we are integrated as a partnership, but you know, I would say we have uh, we have a major typically, you know, which is linked to a, a fun stage. Um, so we have we definitely have a, 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 a team that's dedicated to growth, a team that's dedicated to venture, and a team that's dedicated to seed. Um, again, crossed with the geographic dimension as well. Uh, and, and the engagement models are very different, right? I'm happy to elaborate on that. But uh, so we, uh, as partners and as invest, you know, and as uh, you know, the associates as well, we we focus. Typically, we have this uh, main focus on one stage, and then we make ourselves available and help out on, on other deals as we're being pulled in for whatever uh, reason. Yeah, it'd be great to hear more about that different types of engagement that you mentioned for the different stages. Sure. I mean, nothing that will really surprise you, but it's certainly linked to, you know, the the size of the checks we're writing and the maturity of the companies that we're in investing in, right? So on, on, on one extreme, on the growth stage, we can write checks up to, you know, $50 million. Uh, and obviously that tends to happen in companies that are very mature, where 
there's a lot of uh, execution history, a lot of data that can be analyzed, <clears throat> um, a lot of uh, you know established processes. Uh, you know, market risk has typically been dealt with. Uh, so it's it's about really you know making a great company into a much greater global uh, leader. Um, so that process, for all the reasons I mentioned, tends to be. Uh, a fairly extensive process, right? Not surprisingly, like many late stage growth firms. Uh, and there's also, it's also a process where a stage where there is a lot of data to look at. Um, uh, at the other extreme at seed stage, you know, when you write a check for a few hundred K and you do it several times a month in our case uh, across the globe, um, it, 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 there's usually, it's super early uh, it's almost always the first uh, investment round in those companies. Uh, it, there is very little data. Uh, it's very much a bet on the equation between a market opportunity and the team. Uh, and, and so that's a, obviously a very different process. The, the other difference is, and, and venture is kind of in between, right? Um, it, the other difference is in, in adventure and growth stage, uh, we tend to be much more ownership uh, sensitive and we take a very active role on the board always. Uh, whereas at seed stage, it, it's much more of a syndicated investment approach where we typically don't take a board seat, uh, even though we try to help at the board level. But more often than not, there is no board, right? In, in many of these early stage situations. Um, and so it's also a quicker process, right? Much lighter process. Given that you place a lot of emphasis on founders, what kind of metrics or traits do you use to to assess them? And how has that changed during COVID given you can't meet people in person? So how have you adapted how you yeah. assess founders? So uh, what we look for in founders hasn't changed with COVID, right? That, that's, uh, you know, I would say the bar might be a little higher, if anything, but we look for people who are, um, very smart, obviously, <laughs> um, uh, very committed and, and passionate about uh, their vision, right? Um, they, and, and that's a really important criteria. We, we want to understand why they specifically want to go after uh, the space or the, or, or the problem that they're, they're tackling. Uh, you know, ideally, we, we like to find a very visceral connection between the problem they're solving and their own life experience, um, because that's what's going to make the difference in, in tough times, crisis times like COVID. Uh, you know, uh, uh, where, whether you're going to get over the challenge and find a way, uh, no matter what, right? Uh, so that's a really important criteria. Uh, we really want to get the sense of you know why it's really their mission for the next ten years. Uh, by the way, we, I, I place a, a big emphasis on team versus entrepreneur or solo entrepreneur. I think we, we love to see uh, teams. Uh, we rarely invest in, in, in solo founders. Uh, never say never, we're doing it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard enough to build a company. It's even harder to do it on your own. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it's kind of a natural filter because if, if you can't convince at least one other person 
to be as excited as you are about something, then how are you going to build a team, right? So, uh, so we're looking for the same thing. The way we're looking for that is is actually much more challenging on the COVID times. You're absolutely right. Uh, not being able to meet in person when 80% of that initial seed stage investment decision is based on the team and the people um, is, is just much harder, right? You know, investing at this stage is often compared to dating as a paradigm. Uh, and, and there's even more parallel you know, related to that. I mean, it, it's, you know, very hard to, you know, ask somebody to marry that you haven't met in person. You know, some people are comfortable with that. Most people aren't, right? So, um, so, so working through that has been a challenge where, uh, and, and frankly, has slowed down our pace a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's just our pace. I think the, the pace of the industry at that stage a little bit. Uh, we have made investments uh, since uh, the onset of COVID. Uh, we have, you know, I would say, I'm trying to think back, you know, a couple of those were in teams and entrepreneurs we already knew from, you know, maybe not in the context of that company, but through other experiences in the past. I think in uh, in, in most cases, the entrepreneurs, especially, you know, in, in exciting companies, they have a choice uh, of investors. Uh, more often than not, and they should be just as diligent about us as we are about them, because it is a long-term partnership. And you know, and I think just thinking about that example that I can't name right now because they haven't announced. Uh, uh, I think it was definitely uh, uh, important for myself uh, to have the chance to meet the founders, and I think from their standpoint, it was probably also a very determining factor in, you know, picking us as part of their round versus not. Uh, <clears throat> now, uh, we are also international investors, as, uh, as you know. Um, and uh, while we do invest all over the place, we rarely invest in teams that we haven't met. So we do a fair bit of traveling. And we have missed out on a couple of deals recently in the last couple of weeks, for example, that I sensed were very much uh, qualified deals for us and deals that we typically do, but um, we, 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 we just couldn't get there without uh, the physical uh, meeting and the ability to travel. Uh, so I don't have a clear answer for you uh, other than, yes, it's more challenging. We're trying to do a lot more Zoom calls. Do they fully replace? Uh, no. Uh, do they add additional timing? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I did the little stat just before this call because I was mentally curious uh, uh, on our seed process. And I, I uh, looked at the last 60 or so deals that we did in, in the region that I cover on seed and you know, between the US and, and Southeast Asia. And uh, about 30 of those, the decision was made within you know a couple of days of meeting the the team. Um, that kind of process doesn't happen these days, right? I mean, uh, but it's it's a normal process in normal times. So it's challenging for everybody. Those quick decisions how how much longer are they now during during COVID? Has it have you seen like a, a doubling in the amount of time, or has it been just another couple of extra days? 
Oh no, it's uh, uh, it extends quite a bit, and we see a lot of rounds not happening. You know, we have an, a number of ongoing conversations right now with with some uh, startups that uh, you know are very interesting and intriguing to us, uh, but they're taking a lot more time because. It's not just the time of our interaction with that team. It's also the time of the interaction uh, between that team and X number of other investors. So typically these seed rounds tend to come together in a momentum fashion, right? And, and, and that momentum just can't be orchestrated the same way because there's a time lag in all of these interactions between all of these bilateral conversations that compounds. So a two-day, maybe three to five-day process becomes a month process, right, or more. It's a, it's a challenge for entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. And I'd heard previously, given the market was quite cash-rich, deals were happening very quickly, and some investors, I think, found that too quick. So do you think the the fact that deals are taking a little bit longer enables you to do more diligent and you're more comfortable with your decisions? Um, yes and no. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced of my own answer here. Um, it's because historically, if I look at our best deals, they tend to be the ones that we did very where well, we made the decisions very, very quickly with very, very little data and a very high level of conviction on the team, right? Uh, so if we had had more time in those situations, uh, maybe we wouldn't have made the decision, right? Because the more time you have, the more questions that, you know you can ask yourself and the more things you can dig into. And it's much easier to shoot down a deal at early stage than it is to make a decision to go forward in a way, right? Um, so, um, so I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I uh, look, I mean, the, when we have time to dig into things, you know, we, we, we try to answer questions intelligently and get more informed and smarter and more thoughtful. So, you know, maybe it is a good thing. I, I, I just, I would, I've thought intuitively it's a good thing if we have more time, but if I look historically on a track record standpoint, it's doesn't seem to be the case so uh, and by, by the way my answer on this process and the speed of the process is very much uh, a u.s focused uh answer uh and silicon valley in particular that time dimension is very different in other markets right so in europe for example that's uh, there tends to be more time uh, to dig into things. And, and that's just due to differences in the ecosystem and the fact that uh, there are fewer players and, uh, uh, you know, and they, they're, everybody takes more time and therefore you have more time. Not always, but you know, on average. Given your experience in venture today, what traits have you seen are most common amongst your most successful investments? So I, I think... Uh, the most important contributing factors are, well, so first of all, clearly the team and, and, and by the way, we make mistakes on teams, right? I mean, it, it, because it's very subjective and, uh, you know, there are cases where we, we think 
it's a great team that's committed and then for whatever reason that's not the case um but that is that is clearly like when we make the right decision on the team that tends to become a good investment right uh the business may change the uh, the 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 timing of the investment the market may change everything but uh but when you make a good decision on team that tends to be a positive return it correlates very highly to a positive return on investment uh the other factor is timing uh and uh you know it's market timing uh, and and that is very much it's not it's rarely under or fully under our control and by our i mean us as investors or the founding team uh by definition when you invest at early stage uh you invest in markets that are early emerging or sometimes don't even exist yet so you make a bet on the team and on the timing of a market and along with the timing of the market is the timing of competition and how much you know head start uh, do you have or can you keep and so that that, that would say that's the other uh, big uh, contributing factor um, and you know on on other things the other things tend to be much more under execution control right uh, you know things like developing a product uh, uh, you know there may be a technology risk but more often than not uh, you know you, your teams find a way to get get it done to develop what they they plan to develop unless it's a very very disruptive unique uh, technology but uh, it, it may take a lot more time it may take a, a lot more resources but uh, that's tends to be a manageable aspect of the business uh, you know and there's a lot of discovery that happens uh, you know customer discovery pricing discovery uh, market discovery that, that happens that that is not under fully known or under, under under one's control but again that's more of a execution challenge and, and uh, it's it's more under your control than say market timing and then just lastly on the investing side what's been your most recent investment and why did you get excited about it so the most recent uh, is uh, the one I mentioned earlier, but that I cannot mention by name because uh, they haven't announced yet. And uh, we never announced before companies announce whatever they want to announce, some don't. Uh, but I, I still give you a little bit of the, the color of that because it's not atypical. So it's, uh, first of all, it's in, uh, in a space that we like, uh, that we're very comfortable with. It is in the FinTech space. Uh, and it's in one of the themes in fintech that we like which is i'll leave it at a very high level um in in, in financial empowerment uh, and, and that can have different dimensions we can get into that if you like but uh uh but but in 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 providing certain audiences with financial services that they may not have access to today right so there's a, a social impact aspect to this business that we like in addition to the uh, financial uh, rewards of investing in that area. Um, so that was that. And then uh, uh, the other thing is the team. 
All right. So the team, uh, it's very typical of the types of teams we like to back. It's a couple of uh, entrepreneurs who lived and grew up under the conditions that, uh, you know, that motivated them to solve the problem they're going after. So uh, very much uh, driven and personally, viscerally motivated to address that issue over time. Um, they're uh, both uh, really young, really bright. Uh, uh, and by young, you know, one is, is just actually celebrated his 21st birthday. Uh, uh, exceptionally bright uh, uh, guys that are very complimentary from each other. Uh, that found a, a very interesting initial go-to-market that's very convincing, super early, by the way. Since it's the first uh, first round, um, and and so they were able to bring together something that we really like to see in in early seed stage pitches, which is uh, a, a grand vision of a a big company and and a big uh, market or market problem to go after, combined with a very practical near-term focused go-to-market, right? Uh, because it is to have a grand vision. It's not always easy to find your path into that. Um, and sometimes it's easy to find a you know short-term market hack, uh, but without a roadmap towards something big, uh, that doesn't have a lot of excitement value for us either. So they, they had both. Uh, and yeah, you know, that's about it. I mean, th there weren't any real metrics or anything like that that, that they, you know we can base a decision on. Um, but it, you know, the, I, I guess the other thing that we as investors and not just us, but investors like us, uh, uh, bring to the the, uh, the table in terms of our pattern recognition, because that's really what it's about at this stage, right? Uh, is is the this broader context of space, other deals we've done, uh, other uh, you know, deals we haven't done. <laughs> uh, but but so when, when we come into a situation like this, we don't come into it cold. We have this context that enables us to very, very quickly, uh, you know, get comfortable or not and, and come to a decision. Just br briefly, you mentioned deals that you haven't done. Do you keep an anti-portfolio to track investments you didn't make and how they've performed and do any backward-looking analysis on on anything like that? Uh, not in a formal way. Uh, you know, I think every VC has met and passed on deals that could have been huge. And, uh, you know, it, 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 look, we're it, it's an imperfect decision business. Um we're supposed to fail half the time. <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, I, th I think I, 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 this is where the value of experience comes in too, right? And I, I, I don't mean to say that you can only be successful with experience at all, but uh, experience helps fine tune the pattern recognition model, right? It's it's just a machine learning, our own little machine learning engine inside our brain, right? And uh, you know, yes, we've had we've had regrets. Uh, we we don't keep track of them. You know, 
uh, from a for, formally. You know, maybe we should do that someday. I guess it depends on the focus. You know, some firms are very data driven and will look at that type of thing. And you know, I think if you have more experience, though, you can rely on more intuition based decision making. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say they. You know, we all have them in our head, and they do come in into play, right? I mean, we. Uh, it, it, so on one hand, this is always a challenge for investors. On one hand, you uh, you're trying to learn from the past, and including mistakes you made, right? Like every other smart human being. Uh, on the other hand, you don't want to invest just out of FOMO, right? <laughs> um, because that's the other extreme. It's like you know, uh, oh, you know, if you've missed out on on three great deals, and the the next thing that comes along that looks a little bit like it, you're gonna, you know, uh, you're gonna jump on. Uh, and so, it, it, it's it's it, it's it's a daily challenge for us, right? And that's, uh, I mean, uh, w at least every week we see something that looks like something we passed on that. You know, we probably regretted passing on, uh, and we are like, okay, shall we compromise on this or not? And, you know, um, so I think you you have to find that balance. You know, keep the learning, but uh, define your own investment discipline and your own criteria. And by the way, they're not the same for different people, right? Uh, we each investor has. It, it, this is the parallel to dating again, right? Uh, you know, you, you have your your own criteria for finding the perfect mate that is different than mine and should be. And, and that doesn't mean one or the you know yours is better or mine is better, just different. Um, and even even within our partnership, we we all work differently. You know, uh, some are more domain. Uh, technology driven, some are more, uh, you know, sensitive to teams, some uh, are more sensitive to business model. It, 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 uh, we all have our, our criteria, um, as in most partnerships. I like the dating analogy. To move on to fintech in general, so your most recent investment was in fintech, and I noticed Partech has a lot of investments in fintech. Do you have a, a broad mm -hmm. thesis on the space in particular, or you have particular verticals that you like? How do you pick within the fintech space? It's quite broad. Yeah, it, it is very broad. It's getting broader. Uh, so, so I think we have, I would say, smaller underlying theses and, and themes. And those, I, I would say, will vary uh, along, again along different dimensions, right? For geographic markets, for example is a very uh, uh, important dimension here. So clearly uh, emerging markets, op fintech opportunities in emerging markets uh, are not the same as in mature markets like in the US or, or Europe. Uh, what we see in Africa, uh, which is one extreme, or, or, or Southeast Asia, for example, uh, are tend to be, uh, a, and we like those, by the way, uh, I would say fintech infrastructure uh, uh, in, uh, plays, right? And they, um, which is normal based on these, uh, the, the state of maturity of these uh, ecosystems. You know, uh, the first businesses that, that happen tend to be around, you know, 
fintech, payment infrastructure, logistics infrastructure, e-commerce infrastructure, all this like building blocks for the economy. Uh, they're huge opportunities, but they need to happen. Um, so that tends to be a clear theme in our first investments uh, in both regions. And we have a number of companies, uh, uh, you know, Exended and Experts and TOS uh, in, in Asia and, uh, you know, Yoko and, and, and uh, Wave in, in Africa, for example, that, that would be in that dimension. Um, as economies mature, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost like a Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? So, you know, once you've satisfied the, the basic needs, right, uh, you satisfy the next level of needs, you know, you've put in the infrastructure, now maybe you're going to work on reach, right? Uh, and and uh, serving uh, the right services to audiences that don't have access, right, or that have restricted access to services. So um, that, that's kind of the next level. Uh, uh, so make it, and that, that could have different facets or show it, it manifests itself differently depending on whether you say you're in Indonesia versus uh, France, right? Uh, in Indonesia, you need to reach out to a lot of people. So you see, you see businesses uh, in in emerging markets like this that, for example, will have agents, people being uh, bank agents, for example, right, to, to uh, help propagate the services and, and render the services. Um, in, a, uh, in, a, in a market like France, for example, we had an investment in a company called Comte Nickel that was, I mean, obviously, France is a modern market where you have access to banks and bank accounts and credit cards for a long time. But, you know, maybe you want to make it even easier to have that extra easy account for your kids or for doing or an extra credit card for her to do online uh, shopping, you know, without that you don't want to do out of your main account or you want a temporary uh, account for whatever reason, uh, or you want an extra account because you're renting something out or whatever it is and, and making that very, very easily available is also an opportunity, right? So that's more of the, the convenience thing uh, and, and, and providing convenience and, and, and ease of access to services at a very low cost. And then, you know, above that, you're going to have things like uh, in the very modern market, you know, uh, customizing services, making pretty credit cards, uh, rewards systems, right? I mean, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying, I think this, you know, you, you, it's that next level of, of, of need for the, for the ones who already have access, right? Uh, so not unlike what you saw in communication services around the internet, right? Infrastructure first, and then increasingly, uh, you know, a, 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 a higher granularity, more pervasive services. Uh, so that's the dimension we're looking at. You know, and, and I think the, the next level of dimension uh, is the ubiquitous presence of financial services and, and, and features into uh, other products, right? 
the same the same way you saw in communications, you know, messaging and video conferencing and chatting be, becoming part of all kinds of other uh, products, whatever they might be, you know, vertical or whatever they might be. Uh, I think you, you're starting to see the same things through APIs and, and through, you know, tight embedding uh, of specific financial functions uh, into all kinds of software layers and, and, and products and services. And so that, that's another uh, interesting area for us at the next level of sophistication. It's very broad, obviously. I think that embedded finance layer is, yeah, it's really popular. I had on on the previous episode, Matt Austin from Phoenix, enabling any company to become a payment facilitator and embed payments into their product offering and helping companies like MindBody Mm -hmm. to accept payments. Um, I think it's a Mm -hmm. really interesting space. And then shifting on from that, I think lending will become more of an embedded opportunity in many different things absolutely yes and 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 it will be easier to do lending because the data will be there to base the lending on right and 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 the data will be captured within the accounting system or the banking system or the e-commerce system and, and 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 so we will make that easier as well yeah i, th- I think data is the key component and sometimes it's not the lending company that has the best data it could be the retailer and so you know combining the skills of each you can really develop a a potentially a a better price product as well for the consumer a lower price product the the other reason why we're excited about this space as investors is it's a very competitive broad area on one hand Uh, but it is an area where if you can come up with the right product market fit within a particular market, uh, you can experience very rapid growth rates, right? Um, so unlike, I would say, enterprise software where, uh, you know, you're going to grow if you're a really good company, a really good SaaS company, you know, and you grow 100% a year, uh, and that's great. If you're an e-commerce company, you grow, you know, 300 to 300% a year. That's, that's great. Uh, but in FinTech, you can grow much faster than that. Now, you, you're going to fail more often than that too, because it's competitive. It's, you know, the opportunity is known to the world. Um, but if you, you know, if you're smart enough and, and quick enough to build the right product, and you, we see this in multiple markets, you can experience growth rates and, you know, uh, because of the nature and uh, the, the data driven nature and the connected nature of this space, you can experience growth rates that are very, very exciting for investors. Shifting gears more into your background, um, what, what have you learned over your time as an entrepreneur and how has that translated into helping you as an investor? I might state a lot of obvious things, but I think, uh, uh, you know, learn a lot about, so when you're an entrepreneur and you start your own company, um, you end up doing everything right. Uh, in, in the early phases. And, and, uh, that is probably, I think that, that, that those early phases of businesses are probably where you learn the most because you have to do it all. You know, you, 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 you know, I did, 
you know, I, I, I didn't code. That's about the only thing I, I didn't do, but I, you know, I did tech support for, uh, to developers. I, I, you know, I wrote ads, I did mailings, I made coffee. Uh, I, 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 I was the CFO the, at any point in time at some point, PR marketing, uh, I did sales, I did trade shows. You, you do it all, right? And, and I, I don't think there's a better crash course uh, and a better application area, for, you know, after an MBA, for example, than, um, you know, running your own company, whether you succeed or not, it's irrelevant. The learning experience is going to be there, right? And I failed a bunch of times and uh, I, I, and I definitely learned a lot more from the experiences that failed than from the ones that succeeded, right? Because when you succeed, things you basically worked out. So it was, feels a little easier um so um so i would i was you know not that i liked feeling right but uh but i i don't think i would have succeeded without failing a few times um i think the ability to go through crisis by the way you know the, the experience of of having lived through you know uh economic crisis uh or through uh, periods where you run out of cash and you don't know, or, or in fact, you know, you're not going to be able to make payroll at the end of the month and things like that now uh, are, are very valuable as an investor because uh, not because it makes us tough or anything. It's because uh, uh, we're able to, you know, uh, uh, feel empathy. And, and I think, uh, uh, there are two things that uh, we as board members and investors should bring to the table if, or should strive to bring to the table uh, on the board or with entrepreneurial teams. Uh, one is experience, like practical experience about doing stuff that's relevant, that can help the entrepreneur. Uh, the other thing is really more of an emotional support. Right? It, it's tough uh, to build a company. It never works out the way you plan, almost never. Um, there will be lots of hurdles to jump over. There will be difficult situations. There will be times where you feel alone. Uh, and, uh, you know, a good board brings that, um, you know, that, that, that support, that emotional support, in addition to the practical experience uh, uh, support. So, you know, some investors, one investor, uh, you know, said a little more therapists than we are investors in a way. And, and from time to time, that, that is the case. So I think I wouldn't be able to do that as well if I hadn't been on the other side of the table. That broad range of experience that you get as an entrepreneur resonates with one of my classes. The, the professor was saying that although there's a lot of negativity around MBAs, we have a very broad range of skills and that can be well suited to life as an entrepreneur because you know a little bit of marketing you know a little bit of accounting you know a little, little bit of different things rather than just very deep into one thing so it's, it's good to hear that other people hold the same view so what by the way my view on that topic is uh yeah it's true by the way when you're you know in your mba you feel like ah, you know it's a lot of common sense it's not that you know the the, the, the content itself feels a little bit uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just say bullshitty in some cases or, you know, uh, 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 
and you don't necessarily perceive immediately the value of that. And I think you perceive it in two ways. Uh, if you dive into entrepreneurship after your MBA, you definitely see the value of having you know, received all that broad general management uh, background uh, and education. Uh, if you don't go into this like, um, you know, entrepreneurial path, but you go more of a, after a more functional uh, role for a while or career, uh, then you do get the value, but you get it 10 years later. As you become more of a general manager in whatever you're doing, uh, and, and most people I talk to will say, yeah, after 10 years, it, it is really when I started to see the value of my MBA from 10 years ago, because it gives me that broader perspective uh, to, to be more strategic in my role uh, beyond the functional expertise that I had or functional role that I had initially. Yeah, I think that's you know, a very valid uh, argument and it's something I've, I've definitely heard before. So in 10 years time, I hope to be a lot, a lot wiser. Or sooner, or sooner. How do you manage the the different demands on your time? Are there any you know productivity tools or tips that that you have and use in your daily life? Um, so VC that I asked for advice early on before I was into this gave me that advice, and and I think that was one that was very useful. Is learn to say no quickly <laughs> uh, and kindly. Right. The quicker we do it, the better, the better for the entrepreneur, the better for us. So uh, at the risk of being perceived as rude sometimes, you know, I, I will say in a meeting after 10 minutes, if I know we're, you know, we're not going to make that investment, I, I, I will tend to say it right away. I said, look, this is going to work for us. Oh, this is the fit because X, Y, Z. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to be direct and tell you right now. I'm happy to spend the rest of the hour, or whatever, giving you friendly feedback to the extent that's helpful to you. But you know, I, I, I want to be direct on that, and 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 same by email and so on. So, I think that's that's a big one in our uh, in our space. Learning also uh, where, as investors or as board members, we should be involved versus not. Uh, it's, it's, it's something I had to learn because when you are, especially if you've had an entrepreneurial background, you're interested in every practical operational thing. I mean, we have to like really acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're not running those companies, the entrepreneurs are. And if we, if we start running these companies, we'll probably make the wrong bet on the wrong team. Right. So, so we need to, uh, quickly define and, and have, be aware of the limits of what our role should be, which should be at that strategic level, uh, sometimes more intense during crisis times, uh, positive or negative crisis, uh, but, but, but not, uh, you know, stay away from the, the day-to-day -day stuff that really is a challenge for the teams, right? And I think that's the, uh, those two things are probably the, you know, the, 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 the most important ones in terms of managing time. Um, you know, and then on the personal level, I think uh, it's very different being an investor versus 
being in the trenches as an entrepreneur. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the big differences is that we have much more control of, over our time than uh, if you're an entrepreneur, right? Uh, because, you know, I don't manage people anymore. That's great advice, especially saying no and doing it kindly. I think you don't want to be stringing someone along to think that you might be interested and the process drags on and on. And sometimes it's hard to cut a meeting very short. And as you say, it can come across sometimes rude, but I think it's definitely for the benefit of both parties, for sure. Yeah, and most people, I mean, a large majority, they appreciate it, right? And, and by the way, we've it's happened when I said no, and then three years later, I said yes to the new business that, you know, the, <laughs> the entrepreneur is now doing, right? Uh, and by the way, Partex said no to me the first time I pitched. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, don't always take no for an answer then. <laughs> what are what are some of the things you regularly like to read or to listen to or to watch, whether that's you know about investing or anything in general, really? Yeah, I, you know, the last few years have been particularly hectic, so my reading time has gone down quite a bit because of time availability. The the one thing I've been uh, pushing within my firm and leading now is our investment uh, area uh, initiatives in, in Asia. And I've I spent a lot of time reading about these markets, learning about these markets, these cultures, um, uh, to, to get better at that. Um, you know, we, we, we never want to stop learning, obviously. Um, I think the industry is great for that. It's a great place if you like to learn. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah. The, the people we learn the most from are the entrepreneurs, right? Because we investors are not visionaries, right? The visionaries are the people we invest in. Uh, and they're fascinating, right? The best conversation, the most exciting conversations we have is really uh, uh, the time we spent with entrepreneurs, not just in our portfolio, but entrepreneurs in general. And hearing their stories, hearing their experiences, and um, learning from them. <laughs> awesome. And just last question before we close out. Um, something we're taught at Haas. Whenever we speak to people interesting, always to get a recommendation or two of other people who might make good guests on the podcast. Do you have anyone that springs to mind? I've already, already chatted to Moses, who was excellent. Yeah, he's great. Uh, another great example of you know a bet we made on a team, an entrepreneur and a space, but not on a specific business model, right? But on the passion. Um, uh, okay, help me think about this. Are you looking for specific kinds of profiles? Uh, more entrepreneurs or uh, what's more so? Fintech space generally, and whether that's other investors or entrepreneurs, open to any really. Okay. Definitely happy to get back to you on that, by the way, and, and think about different names. We can touch base a little later if you have some mm -hmm. time to think. You might like the team that we just invested in. I think there might be an interesting uh, case for you. Okay. Let me get back to you on that. I have a, a few ideas. and then yeah, yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate your time. It's been really great to chat and hear your insights. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, happy to do this. Pleasure meeting over Zoom. 